All right. I know you're probably expecting next, the next session for Law and Gospel. However, it is Sunday, which means a new uh, Bible study week for the Bible study exercise, and I need to introduce that tonight. I've already introduced it once, but to do a proper introduction and to get us started. So tonight, we're going to be uh, introducing the new week of Bible study, which this, for the next six weeks plus, seven weeks plus, we are going to be working on the subject of fear. So, here's what we're going to do. Go ahead and, if you have a Bible, open up to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Because this is the uh, passage for the first week of study. Which is Psalm 33. We've already told everyone to start working on. We're not going to work on Psalm 33 this evening, but we're going to at least use show you how they start the study out and the curriculum. Psalm chapter 33, and we have in verse, we'll start in verse 6. Psalm chapter 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. And then, here's the key verse. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world Stand in awe of him. Let all the earth fear the Lord. So this introduces the subject of fear. Now you could say it introduces the subject of fear of the Lord, but for our Bible study exercise, I want to expand it beyond that and just take the word fear itself and consider it and think about it. Now, in some ways, what I wanted you guys to do is come up with what questions we should ask in regards to fear or what Questions we should ask the scripture in regards to fear, but I'm not going to put you on the spot and do that. I, I want to, but I, and the reason I want to do that is because uh, it seems that the agreed upon method of study for the next seven weeks is we're not going to do a topical study. We're going to do a thematic study. And if you know the thematic study, you come up with questions to, you come up with the questions and then you go through the Bible to try to answer those questions, but you've got to formulate the questions before you do anything. So I was in a sense going to make you guys come up with the questions and then I could just give everyone the questions, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I should, but I'm not. But I would, I am going to ask this question. Do you think in general that Christians have a biblical understanding of fear or do you think Christians have a misunderstanding of fear. Now, we, we Christians talk about fear a lot, right? We have lots of little cliches and a lot of little statements that we will make in regards to fear. You've heard them your whole life if you've been a Christian or you listen to Christian radio, right? We'll hear things that the only thing we should fear is whom? Oh, well, okay, that's not from the Bible, but okay. That's the famous quote from... Okay, now, does anybody know who that quote's from? The only thing we should fear is fear itself? Wasn't it Roosevelt? So look it up. Just do, do a search. You know, it was way before him. Let's just, let's see. Let's see who knows history best. Come on. Let's see. Wasn't it Roosevelt? You're not even familiar with the quote. Okay, Stephen doesn't even know the quote. <laughs> the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. Right? I don't know if that's how he said it, but okay. Oh, look at that. Ding, 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 ding. I win, I win, okay. Do I get something? Do I get like double jeopardy? Okay, okay, okay. 
Okay, I do know history pretty good. Okay, okay do I? Oh, I don't know that. Which one? Franklin FDR Roosevelt. Huh. Okay, I don't know if I would have got that. Okay, All right. I don't know if I would have got that. But, okay. <laughs> oh, say that again. We should not fear Satan. Is that what you're saying? Okay, well, yeah, we, 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 some would say well, the only thing we should fear is God. You're saying some Christians would say the only thing we should fear is Satan. Okay. What are some other statements or things that people would say about fear that you think in the church? That Christians would say. Okay, fear not. And a lot of times we're told that there are how many fear nots in the Bible? One for every day of the year. That's what we're... Sometimes we're told that. I, I think we've looked that up before and proved that that wasn't actually true. I think we proved that. I, I can't remember. All right. But there's lots of things that we are told, right? Um, during uh, the pandemic, we were told that Christians should not fear in any way, shape, or form a pandemic. We don't have anything to fear. All right. But then in other situations, Christians will seem to do things that seem to indicate fear. Right? So... Which is it? I think I'm just going to say I think there's a lot of inconsistency when it comes to the subject, and I think there's a lot of just grabbing on to one concept. And and remember, and I always say this all the time. So many times in Christianity, and and this seems to confuse people when I do this. So many times we make a claim in Christianity. Yes, right. We claim it. We may even find a scripture to back it up. But what do we not do? Take it to its Logical conclusion. Because so many times when we take it to a logical conclusion, where do we find ourselves? The bottom of the cliff, all broken and bloodied, because the idea just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So, when should we fear? When should we not fear, right? Because sometimes Christians say, nothing can harm you until God allows it to harm you. I don't know exactly what that means, right? Nothing can harm you until God, like, I don't know what that actually means, right? So, but there's lots of discussion about fear, all right? So, here's what we're going to do. Obviously, the curriculum is going to start with what? Psalm 33 wants us to to learn about fearing whom? Fear of the Lord. And we know that's a very important concept, right? Very important. Why, Why is the fear of the Lord such an important concept? It's the beginning of wisdom. Where is that verse? Find it, find it. Find it. Who can find it first? Who can find it first? Who can find it first? Who can find it first gets $50,000. Okay. Proverbs 1, 7. And what does it say? Fear, is the be- uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Is there a verse that says fear is the beginning of wisdom? Oh, well, let's see. Let's see. Can you find? What, what can you find? Just tell me what you can find. We'll just have a little bit of fun here at the beginning until we can move forward. Oh, the King James says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge. Okay. All right. Okay. Do we have a, a verse that says fear is the beginning of wisdom? We'll see. Psalm 111.10, what does it say? All right, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. All right, so that makes it extremely important, right? 
So that seems to know, because we usually draw a distinction between knowledge and wisdom, do we not? And Proverbs 9.10, okay? And we'll go through all of that I mean, in the next seven weeks, but we will not tonight. But just make sure you understand, we usually draw a distinction between knowledge and wisdom, do we not? Right? Knowledge is usually, what do we say knowledge is? The gathering or, under, or the gathering and understanding of facts, right? And wisdom, we typically say, is the correct application of that knowledge and facts. So we can't gather the knowledge correctly. We can't even understand knowledge correctly without the fear of the Lord. And we cannot use that knowledge correctly without the fear of the Lord. And if all of that is true, then the fear of the Lord is literally one of the most important concepts every Christian should understand. And I think the best we can come up with is, well, it just means to respect him. Okay, I don't know if that's it. I don't know. Maybe that's sufficient. Maybe it isn't. But I think it's just a very important concept. So just to get us started in looking at fear in general, everyone grab a Bible dictionary. Let's grab a Bible dictionary. And let's see what we can find. Well, that's, uh, I think that would probably be a good idea. P- page 445. Page 445. Page 445. And what are we going to find here? Page 445. It's not a large uh, entry, which is somewhat disappointing. And I found a, a couple of interesting things. Like I have a very large book here that has a topical, like a topical thing for the Bible. And it's got like, it names the topic and it just, page and page of scriptures and fear that just skipped right I looked in other sources fear if they do say anything about fear the only fear they deal with is the fear of God which is kind of interesting right the uh, the handbook of biblical application they do have something on fear so we may we may do a little look at that it's just interesting that like, how important is this subject? So it's, it's just kind of interesting that the curriculum decided to look at this subject for the next, basically, seven weeks. It's like, okay, that, that's one of the reasons I like following other curriculum, because I don't think I would have ever stopped and go, let's study fear on my own. So I like being challenged to look at something. So let's see what the Bible Dictionary does to at least get us started. Everybody ready? All right. Let, oh, before we do this, before we look at the Bible Dictionary, Let's do this. Look up the word fear in an English dictionary real quick. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. All right. Okay. Okay, so fear here in this dictionary is defined as an unpleasant feeling. An unpleasant feeling because of, a, of or emotion. Unpleasant emotion because of why? So someone or something could cause you pain or a threat and then you feel this unpleasant emotion. So they, it connects fear with an unpleasant emotion. That's interesting, right? Right? And we, obviously when we think of the fear of the Lord, we wouldn't think it's an unpleasant emotion. Right? But they describe it here. What's another English dictionary say? Or I'm going to say the same thing. Give me both. Okay. 
Okay, distressing emotion. Again, that, because something, you perceive a threat, you perceive a danger. All right? Okay. Okay. Now there, there brings in the reverential awe, which is a little bit different, right? Reverential awe is different than an unpleasant emotion because you're afraid something is going to harm you or destroy you or kill you or cause you some kind of pain. Right? Do we have anything different than that? Did you have anything different, Twyla? To be afraid or apprehensive. Afraid or apprehensive. All right? So we, and, and so can we all agree, can we all agree that as humans... We've all experienced, to some level, fear as far as the English dictionary is concerned, right? Now, some Christians may argue that that kind of fear is what? Unbiblical. You're not supposed to have that kind of fear. Now, I would be, some may say, well, possibly, but but some Christians would say that fear that, that's, that and in fact I've heard sermons that say something along that fear is not compatible with faith. And if you have faith in God, therefore you should not have fear. You have nothing to fear if you have faith in God. So we we, we have to ask an important question: Is it sinful then to experience fear? Now some will say, well, it can be, but it may not be, and then it gets into a lot of trying to define this. But whether we believe it's a sin or not, we've all experienced that unpleasant emotion, that, that concern that somebody, something is going to hurt us or something that's going to inflict some kind of pain, something unpleasant. And then there is that fear, that apprehension, that wanting to avoid it. Agreed? Now, is that, again, is it sinful or not sinful? Well, let's just, well, that's at least the English definition which doesn't offer any moral judgment upon it, just the fact of it. Let's see what the Bible Dictionary says, right? Page 445. It says, fear is a feeling. Okay, so we have a feeling involved. We have emotions involved. So every, English and Bible Dictionary all agree that it's a feeling, that it's an emotion. It's a feeling, it's an emotion. It's a feeling or emotion. And what do they focus on first? Feeling of reverence, awe, and respect. They start with that. It's a feeling of reverence, awe, and respect. Okay? I got some questions here, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it right now. Alright? We got the feeling of reverence, respect, and awe. Right? What else do we have? Or an unpleasant emotion caused by a sense of danger. So the Bible dictionary is clearly giving us the idea, and the English dictionary did as well, right? That there are two kinds of fear. One is an unpleasant emotion because of perceived danger. And the other one is respect and awe. What, do they use a different, another word besides respect and awe? Reverence. Reverence, respect, and awe. So we have two kinds of fear. Two kinds of fear. Now, what, what's, what could be some questions? Well, on the unpleasant emotion, what would be some of the questions we would want to ask in regards to the unpleasant emotion? Is it always wrong to have this unpleasant emotion? 
is a sin. If you say it's not always wrong, at what point can it become wrong? Right? That, that becomes very subjective. But here's, here's one that's interesting. When it comes to reverence and respect and awe, is it possible that we could have reverence and respect and awe for the wrong thing? That, that would be something to, to pursue, yes? Right? So when it comes to the unpleasant emotion, is it always wrong? Or when does it become wrong? And when it comes to reverence and respect and awe, we could say it this way. There, obviously, we, we, we know the, the answer is there's only one thing we should give reverence and respect awe to. But is it possible for us to give res, reverence and respect and awe to the wrong thing? And if so, what are those things we give reverence and respect and awe to that is wrong? That would be a, those would be good questions. Right? And I'm purposely asking a lot of questions because of th- those who decide to do the thematic study, I'm giving them questions to, to start considering which ones they want to use for their thematic study. Okay, all right, here we go. Fear may be directed toward God or humankind, and it may be either healthy or harmful. Healthy or harmful. We can have a healthy or harmful, either going to be healthy or harmful. Now, why is this important? Well, because obviously, if the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom is fear, then we want the healthy kind and the right kind, or we're not going to have knowledge or wisdom. This becomes, this becomes pretty critical then to everything. Right? What does the next paragraph say? A healthy fear is reverence or respect. A healthy fear is reverence or respect. The Bible teaches that children are to respect their parents. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3. Let's look that up. Leviticus 19, 3. Okay, what does it say? Okay, now it literally uses the word fear in the King James, right? How does the NIV translate Leviticus 19.3? Okay. Okay, then it comes to, then it mentions respect, but it starts with fear, right? Okay, how does the uh, NIV translate it? Okay, it's going to use respect in both places, okay? All right, so the NIV goes with respect. King James uses fear, right? All right, so what's the Hebrew word there that's translated respect or fear? Leviticus 19.3, what's the Hebrew word? You don't have to pronounce it or... I'll look it up as well. I'll look it up as well. All right, Blue Letter Bible app. Yahweh. Uh, here we go. Someone was playing it for those who didn't hear it on online. Here we go. Um, you shall fear. It's Yare, right? Strong's H, 3372. Yare. 
Yare. Now, it me it's used how many times? 314 times and it's translated fear 188 times, afraid 78 times, terrible 23 times, terrible thing 6 times, dreadful 5 times, reverence 3 times, fearful 2 times, terrible acts 1 time. Immediately just looking at how it's used and how many times it's used, what does immediately this tell you as a good Bible student? What does that tell you? Just just the way it's used all of those times. What does that tell you as a good Bible student? Okay, well, it does tell us there's a lot to compare to. What's the de- what's the a, a dead giveaway here? It's a good Bible student. All right, let me help you out. The mere definition of the word is not going to be sufficient to know how to use it. What's going to be required to know how to use it is going to be the context in which it is found because the definition of the word obviously can be used for what? Lots of different things, right? Yes? It can be fear, but what else can it refer to? It can can awe and respect, but it can also go with something dreadful, something horrible. Right? So therefore, I can't just go, well, the meaning of the word, Yahweh, is this. No, 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 no. I got it. And that's just an important concept to remember in Bible study because so many times people will argue about the definition of a word, right? They'll be over in some book somewhere in the Bible, just somewhere, and say, well, the meaning of that word is this. And you'll be like, well, congratulations. Did you notice that the meaning of the word has 15 other different ways it can be used? So we have to look at what? Context. All right? Does, does that make sense to everyone? What's the strongest definition? Yare, to fear morally, to revere, right? To frighten, everybody see that? To frighten, to make afraid, dreadful, put in fear. So it has both ideas. The one word can be used for two different concepts. So it can be used for a good fear or a bad fear, possibly. Yes? Would that be fair to say? I think that would be fair to say. All right. And then, um, well, we could look at uh, the Brown Driver uh, uh, Briggs lexicon and go a little bit further into it. We could start looking up all 318 Verses, okay, which we won't do right now. There's a, when you deal with this subject, you're dealing with a gigantic one. All right. So the people were we were trying to discuss are we going to do topical or thematic? One of the reasons trying to do topical, this would be just this would be insane trying to do a topical because topical you got to consider every single verse on the subject. So thematic may be the reason we're going to try to approach it. But the thematic one, you got to figure out what questions do we need to ask? Or are we getting a pretty good idea of what questions we need to ask? Right? What is the difference between the good fear and the bad fear? Right? Okay, how do I know, like, how, how do I know when I'm having the bad fear, and how do I know when I'm having the right fear, and can, when it comes to, to having the right kind of fear, can I have the right kind of fear to the wrong thing? Those are, those are important questions, yes? Alright, so, a healthy, so now, now just think about this. That Leviticus 19.3 concept about children. Right? We got, you, you understand then, we have to have a good understanding of that, or that could lead to some really bad parental, uh, concepts, yes? The key is not to create dread 
and scared to death of the parent, right? We would say it would be to be what? Respectful or reverence. Now, the the never-ending debate within parental circles would be what? What would be the big debate in parenting circles about that concept? What, what do you do as a parent to produce reverence and respect? Well, I don't know. Some would say, look, what, what produces it? Is it discipline that produces it? Yeah, I'll get it for you. Yeah, that, that would be... That, that, that would be the question, right? That, I mean, because, and listen, this is important. Wait, you, the, the Bible says children respect and reverence your parent. Well, then as a parent, what do we do to produce that? Or do we even have any control in producing it? Some will say it's strong discipline will get it. But if you're not careful, strong discipline will not lead to reverence and respect. It will lead to, it can lead to rebellion. What else can it lead to? depending on how far you push the discipline, an unhealthy fear. Right? An unhealthy fear, like, I'm just not going to tell them anything, not talk to them about anything. I'm, to, I'm just going to do what they tell me to do. And that, well, that's bad. Right? So once again, we have a good concept of reverence, but now the real world application of what that looks like and how to produce it becomes what? Convoluted and difficult. And trust me, you get five parents together, you're going to get 50 different answers on what you should do. You're not, you're not teaching that kid any reverence or respect. And, you're, and they're like, okay, you go. And sometimes their kids will grow up and they don't have any reverence or respect for the parents. They hate them and they're bitter. Sometimes, though, the one over here going, no, 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 no. We need to be more loving and more compassionate and more patient. Their kids grow up and they have no reverence or respect. So you don't even know. You never know how it's going to work out. You never know. I mean, like, that's the one thing. There is no set way. But it's interesting that reverence and respect is used in that kind of relationship, right? Right? What's the next one? Wives are to respect their husbands. Hmm. Go to Ephesians 5.33. Is, is, is respect there? It's kind of interesting that they use that. Go to Ephesians 5.33. It uses the word reverence. What does it say? Exact words? Reverence her husband. How's the NIV translated? Yep, 533. Respect. Reverence. Okay, we need the Greek word here. We need definitely need the Greek word here. Respect or reverence. What's the Greek word here? Okay, hang on, I'll look it up as well. All right. Oh, oh, wow, okay. Ephesians 5.33, right? Uh, She reverence. And it's Fabeo. It is, I'll play it. Strong's G, 5399. Fabeo. Fabeo. 
phabeo, and phabeo is used 93 times. 62 times it is fear. 23 times be afraid. Uh, be afraid of five times reverence. Are you getting kind of both ideas again? All right, one times reverence. Fabeo, okay? And then, um, Strong's definition, to frighten, to be alarmed, and awe, revere, to be sore, afraid, fear, exceedingly reverence. So once again, the word does what? Gives us both concepts. I cannot stress this enough because just the simple definition here is not sufficient to know what's going on. Oh, I know. Most of the time it's used for not. And most of the time it's used for something other than reverence. And, and that's a good point. Okay, this is very important. All right? Sometimes in the Bible study exercise, I'm more focused on trying to give you these very important tips more than I am in trying to get you the information. Because that's true. Just because, because sometimes, this is important. It, let's say, Fabeo, let's just say, and I'm not going to go through all of it right now. It's used how many times? 93. Let's just make an argument that 83 times it's used for like an unhealthy fear. Be scared to death. Be afraid. Be frightened. Let's say 83 times. Okay? All right. <laughs> Maybe more like 90. Let's say 90 times. Now, if you're not careful, then you can take that, go to Ephesians 5.33 and say, Woman, you better be afraid of me. Okay, I don't, I don't, I don't think... Stacy would probably be like, what a, whatever. Okay. Right. Because the translators were like, ooh, we don't want to give this the wrong idea. But just so, so sometimes, just the way the word is used the most may not determine how it's understood in a passage. You have to see what's going on in a passage. See, sometimes the mere definition of the word is not sufficient. Sometimes the fact the way it's used more is not always helpful. You've got to look at the situation, right? You've got to look at the situation. And, that, and that, can lead, that can lead to so many disagreements because someone will be like, well, it's translated this way 90 times. Why wouldn't you translate? Because that can't be what it's tra- talking about in this particular case, all right? But once again, that's interesting, right? Children are supposed to reverence. Now, this would be, let, let me ask the question. This is important. Right? This is this is okay. I know we need to be talking about fear, but this is dealing with fear in real world applications, right? Okay, reverence, the right kind of fear. So let me ask you, when it comes to children, we would say whose responsibility is it to produce that kind of reverence and respect for the parent? We would say it's the parent's job, right? All right, Bobby would say yes. Everybody else? Right. Okay. In other words, we would say, put it this way, we would say the parent is, is responsible in some way, shape, or form to, to produce that or create that within the child, right? Because the child's just not going to wake up one day and go, I need to reverence and respect my parent, right? Most likely it's going to have to come from something from, the, the responsibility would be placed on the parent to some level. Now, when the kid's 16 or 17, you may say it's on the child, Right? But most people would say, well, the reason they don't respect them at 16 or 17 is because you didn't teach them reverence or respect when they were young. Yeah, but that's not necessarily true, but it's what would typically be said. All right? Now, the reason I ask that question is, well, then, when it comes to the wife, 
Does the husband have a responsibility here or no? I, 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 I do what? Yeah, I don't know because because on one hand you would say, well, I because the wife may say, well, I will respect you if you were worthy of respect, but you're trash, okay, right? <laughs> Something like that, okay? Maybe in a nicer way, okay? Yeah, I'll respect you. <laughs> yeah, sure, okay, right? Maybe, but but I guess for the adult because. And uh, man, it's a difficult thing because here we're kind of kind of going back to my uh, series on women's submission and abuse in the church. This can lead. This can be abused big time here. This can be abused so bad. This can be abused so bad. And we've had some really bad examples of women being placed in horrible situations, and the church leaves them there or ex like you know MacArthur excommunicated the woman who her children's being sexually abused and then the church supports the man who goes to prison and she's still excommunicated to this day. They yet to lift the excommunication. I don't even know how that's even that's that's something like you're like that cannot be real. That cannot be real. I mean like if you realize you excommunicated the woman and her children are being sexually molested, I think at some point you're like, I think we made a mistake here. I think we messed up, okay? I think we supported the wrong person here, okay? So I, I think it's okay to admit it that you made a mistake, okay? But this raises lots of questions because the woman is supposed to respect and reverence. And there, this goes right with the idea of fear, the right kind of fear. The woman is to have, we can say this, the child and the wife is to have the right kind of Fear for, in the child's case, the parent, and the wife's case, the husband. Wow. Reverence and respect. Well, clearly, clearly we know what category we are putting these in, right? This is law category. Everybody understands that? Because I don't know. I mean, I, reverence and respect is a hard thing to have. It's very hard. What makes it so hard in marriage? The woman may reverence and respect the person from a distance. It's once you get married that the reverence and respect goes out the window because you find out that the person is is flawed, right? Okay, right, right, right. The women are quick to say that they're messed up. Okay, they're garbage. Okay, I, but but the reality is. For every flaw is in him, there is three or four in you because man is not near as flawed as a woman. Okay, right? I mean, that's biblical, isn't it? Okay, there, okay. Okay, maybe not. All right. Sarah's giving me, Sarah's giving me looks like you better just move on. Okay, right? So, all right. But that's, that's a hard one, isn't it? Okay, man. Oh, man, the next one. Oh. I do not like the next one. I do not like the next one either. All right, Ephesians 6, 5. Everybody look at it. Ephesians 6, 5. All right, now it says servants be obedient. Correct? Right now, the, the, 
I, this is where I, I'm a little concerned here because the dictionary says slaves are to respect their masters. Oh, with fear and trembling. There, okay, there we go. All right. Uh, with fear and trembling. What's the uh, Greek word for fear there? Oh, man, this one's hard. Uh, this, is, this is some difficult stuff to work through. All right. Okay. Fabas. Okay. And what does it mean? Is, am I saying it correctly, Fabas? Because I'm not looking at it. Okay. Fabas. Same thing. It's got both concepts there. Fear, terror. So it can be a positive or it can be a negative. Clearly, we would say that in the context, it's what kind of fear? A reverence and a respect. Yes? All right. Now, this is difficult. This is difficult, 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 difficult. All right? We're, we're kind of walk, we're walking into a, a whole subject here, right? Okay, so here's what, let's try to just get some things that we've figured out here. All right, we understand that there are two kinds of fear. Everyone agree? There's a negative, there's a, we're going to say it's a negative kind because it's one of, of uh, it's a negative emotion, it's a bad emotion, and it's fear that you're afraid you're going to get hurt, someone's going to kill you, someone's out to get you, you're going to feel some kind of pain. It's, it's a negative emotion. Can we at least call it that? Right? The, the other one is reverence, respect, and awe. Agreed? Yes? Two kinds. All right. So far, we're trying to look at the positive one. And we are to show reverence and respect, children to parent, wife to husband, and then the next one is hard, slave to master. Now, I know in preaching, we'll just say, well, don't worry about slavery. That's just the employee to the employer. I understand that. But it's troubling. But this is what we have to figure out. Oh, and this is hard, 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 hard. Okay. This is hard, but we're going to have to deal with this, all right? And I've got to be very careful how we say this because the church has so abused this, all right? The church has so abused this. So listen to me carefully. Oh, man. And I don't even know how this works. The Bible seems to go with this kind of thinking, and you can tell me if, if you think I'm wrong here. And the slave and master is a good example. The Bible is not making a moral judgment on slave-master relationship. What it is doing is saying within this relationship, what is the responsibility of the slave? Obedience. And what else? With fear and respect. And singleness of your heart. As unto Christ. In other words, the, the, the slave... Right. The slave is not to focus on the reverence and respect and obedience towards the person as being directed at the person. The slave is showing reverence, respect, and obedience unto Christ. Right? Because it's showing respect as unto Christ, right? In other words, it, the respect goes to the master, but the, the focus is I'm not doing it for the master's sake. I'm doing it for the ultimate master's sake, which is Christ. Does everybody see how it's written? Okay? You're doing it towards Christ. Does, does that make sense? The, the wife is to submit as unto Christ, right? It's Christ-focused. 
So th- this is really difficult because in all three of these situations, right, we, all, we would all, everyone here ha- should have a very, 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 very strong and negative reaction to the idea of slave and master. Agreed? That should bother us. That's a horrible situation. The Bible does not make any judgment about the situation. It's speaking of, here's the reality of life. Some of you are slaves. What is your responsibility in that slavery? Obedience, reverence, and respect. As unto Christ. In other words, you're in this situation and your focus is not on your situation. Your focus is not even really on your master. Your focus is on Christ. That's hard to comprehend, right? That's easy for me to say, right? That's easy for me to say because I've never been a slave. So I can't relate to that, right? I mean, I, I was in the military. I guess that was close, right? Okay, but, okay, I'm joking, I'm joking. Okay, it was nothing like this, right? Okay, so I can't understand that, but, 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 but. Let's go back to the first one. Reverence and respect to the parent. Now, does the scripture make a moral judgment on the parent-child relationship? It is simply saying within that relationship, what is the child's responsibility? Reverence and respect. If the child is in a situation where it is not a good situation, what is the child still to, to do? Biblically speaking, Reverence and respect. Now, here's where people get crazy within the church. This is very important. It, and I'll just go with the child one first. If the child, the child has to show reverence and respect, but does that mean that it is wrong for the child to seek help for an abusive relationship or an abusive situation? You can't tell me that it's wrong for them to seek help. Just like I don't think it would be wrong for someone who is a slave to seek some kind of hopefully change in society that would remove slavery, but at the same time showing obedience and reverence and respect to the master. How do you pull that off? I don't even know. I don't even know how you pull this off, right? Okay, I I cannot stress, I've tried to, I tried to get this point across the last time I was doing something in the women's submission and abuse uh, series, and I don't know how well I articulated it, so I'm going to try to articulate it now. And we've talked about this so many times. This is what makes the Bible so difficult, right? The Bible gives you the biblical standard, right? It just says, here's the rule, here's the law, here's the way it should be. Boom. Right? That's, that's all it does. It doesn't say, well, this is what you do in this situation. This is what you do in this situation. Because it gives the standard, but it gives the standard in a world which is what? Sinful and broken. Right? So no matter what the rule is, every rule, every standard, you can be guaranteed that what's going to happen Sin is going to be involved in that standard or in that rule or in that morality. Us keeping it, we're going to break it, we're going to fall short of it, or we're going to abuse it. The Bible doesn't say, okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. If this happens, then you can do this, this, and this. And Or if this happens, you do this, this. It doesn't do that. And what happens is we come along and try to fill in those blank spaces, right? Well, the Bible says, wife, 
submit to your husband. Well, then we come along and go, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, if the husband does this, this, and this, well, then the wife should do this. The Bible doesn't give you any of that, right? We come in and fill in those spaces. Hey, a pastor should do this, 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 and this, and this. Well, it doesn't tell you what to do if the pastor doesn't do one of those things, does it? Some people say, well, if you do one of them, that's it. You can never preach again. Well, it, it doesn't say that per se. It may say the person is disqualified for a period, but it doesn't say that the person can never be restored or there can be any reconciliation. Peter was restored. Obviously, David was restored because he went along to write scripture. Right? Solomon. Well, I, don't even, I don't even know what we call that mess. Okay? Right? So, the Bible doesn't come along and just fix the problem for you. Right? The Bible says, hey, marriage should be this way. One man, one woman for life. Sin happens. You're left with lots of, well, what about this? And 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 everybody has the what about questions and the scripture doesn't help do that. So then who has to try to fill in the what abouts? We do. Well, in that situation or in that situation. So the Bible standard is we are to show the right kind of fear, respect and awe Right? And reverence and what three relationships? Child to parent, wife to husband, slave to master. I don't like I don't like that in a lot of cases, right? Now I, I can't relate to the the, the um, slave one, but I can relate to being a Christian teenager in a very messed up family. And I will say, I didn't show reverence and respect. I, I tried to show some level of obedience whenever I could figure out what the rules was on whatever given day the rules were because they changed every given day, so I never knew what in the world was going on. I tried to mind my own business and leave them alone, but it was Christianity that where, actually Christianity led me not to show reverence and respect because they wanted me to tell my story behind pulpits anywhere I could tell the story because it was a good, sad story that made people cry. The only problem is I live in a town of 300 people, so the story got back to whom? And guess what? My parents didn't think it was so great that I was telling said story. You could understand why. Right. So guess what I shouldn't have been doing? Shouldn't have been telling the story. If you wanted me to stand behind the pulpit, what should I have been doing? Preaching scripture instead of telling my story. Because the story then becomes about me how bad they are, how good I am now, and less about God, even though we claim it's about God, it really becomes about ourselves. Trust me, I know. All right? So, I didn't show reverence and respect. And that was at, at the help of Christianity pushing me in that direction. Christians should have said, this is a bad idea for him to be telling this story in a little small town, because it's going to get back to his parents. This is just a bad idea. I'm stupid because I'm a teenager. I don't think it through. Okay? which only led me to utter, I mean, you talk about my relationship was already destroyed. That just, that, just, that just set a nuclear bomb off, and that was the end of my relationship with my parents. Christianity destroyed my, parent, my relationship with my parents because well, nobody thought it through. You see, the real world application of these things are complicated, right? The rule is simple. Show reverence and respect. But what does that mean? Someone would have said, no, it's, you as a Christian should give your testimony and who cares what your parents think? You put Christ first. 
That sounds good. But wait a minute, how do I balance that out with showing reverence and respect? Because the biblical model is, I'm to show reverence and respect even if the relationship is what? Messed up. As unto Christ. Now when it comes to a a wife, she should show reverence and respect, but guess what? We can't teach and believe that that means she stays there to get beat. No. She should get out of the situation. She has to, and the church should come to her defense and rescue and financial assistance and whatever and stand between her and the man. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're not touching her. You're not getting near her. You've got to go through all of us, okay? That's not going to happen ever again. But she still needs to be, have reverence and respect. And that reverence and respect may show itself in a, in a different... In other words, she may not be all over social media bashing him, right? But that doesn't mean she has to stay there and be beaten by him. And the slave-master situation, well, in our culture, we would say, do whatever you can to fight that law, but still show reverence and respect. Their case, there's nothing they could do. (laughs) Okay, they were like, we'll vote the next administration out of office. (laughs) There is no vote. There's nothing they could do. Their only options was basically try to run away. Right? Okay. 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 Hope the ruler, or just show reverence and respect. I think what we have to understand is the biblical concept is that we show reverence and respect irregardless of the situation because we're really doing it not in regards to those people, but because we're doing it in our in relationship to Christ. That's I, I, that is a hard concept to understand, is it not? And we're at seven o'clock. I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this. Because I just wanted to get through the dictionary. Okay, I just, it, it's not even very long. It should be simple. But man, these three things are hard, is it not? Yeah, we, I mean, well, that, that's supposed to be the healthy part, but you can see how difficult the healthy part can be. Yeah, we'll, we'll at least finish, finish it, okay? Uh, the scriptures also declare that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge as well as the beginning of wisdom. So let's break it this, this down, all right? Healthy fear, reverence and respect are to be shown in the following places. Everybody ready? Child to parent, wife to husband, slave to master, which, of course, it would apply in our situation, employee, employer. It would, I mean, we don't have any other well, what, what place to do that, okay? And then person to God. That's where the right kind of fear is supposed to show up. The right kind of fear in these categories. And I think, you, you tell me if you're correct, I think the only way, and I know this is going to go against some parental models, I think the only way for the right kind of fear and respect and honor to show up in any of these categories is, to, is you have to have the right reverence and respect for God. Because most of this is about reverencing and respecting like unto Christ, as unto the Lord, right? So in other words, you have to have the right relationship with God so that you can have the right reverence and fear with others. In other words, the right reverence and fear with God is what 
leads, because if you're reverencing and fearing God, then what are you doing in these situations? You're not focused on the situations or the people involved. You're focused on, on God. So the only way, so I think as a, as a, as a parent, to really produce the right fear or the right reverence and respect in the child is to bring them up to reverence and respect God. And the only way for the wife to truly reverence and respect her husband is for her to truly reverence and respect God because she's going to have to look past her husband because the husband is trash. Right? I mean, all husbands are trash because we're all sinners. Right. But in this particular case... She's the one who has to do the reverence and respect. And then a slave, we may have a, obviously, you're trying to respect another person who bought you as a human being, which is beyond my understanding there. But it has to flow from the right, right? So everything begins with the right fear of God. That's why it says the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the fear of the Lord. It's a circle. If you want to have the right reverence and fear for others, you have to have the right reverence and fear of God because your fear to others is you're doing it not based off them. All right? That's, that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. And I, and, and I know there's probably lots of questions. Well, what is, what is this kind of fear or, or what kind of reverence and respect and awe does this look like towards a husband? I, I, I don't have an easy answer for you, but it's something that every wife and woman has to struggle with. Right? That's difficult. But I will say this in closing, because this makes me very, 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 very mad, because I watched this happen in the church during the uh, COVID pandemic. Does everybody remember that we are supposed to show reverence and fear and obedience to our governmental leaders? Guess what happened during the pandemic? Pastors were teaching, you, know, you don't have to do that if the government's bad. The government makes bad rules about COVID, you don't have to listen to them. Well, wait a minute. If that's true, then a child should not have to reverence and obey a parent because the parent's sinful. Wife should get away with it all the time. That would just break down all of these passages about, because we could always argue that the people in charge are sinners and who don't do things the right way. I mean, that's a slippery slope to just basically, I don't have to listen to anyone but whom? Me. Which, then if you're honest about yourself, you wouldn't even listen to yourself. You would rebel and, and you would rebel against yourself, okay? I'm not going to listen to myself, okay? Because you're a sinner, yeah, but that's the difficult thing. The Bible just seems to state, here's the way it's supposed to work. No matter the situation, you're reverence, respecting, and obeying as unto God. Not, and it has nothing to do with the people involved. Because that's what I call you to do in this situation. And that's not easy to figure out. One, we know we're going to fall short of it. All right? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. Right? I mean, it would be interesting to know how many women could say they honestly show reverence, respect, and awe to their husband. I mean, that's a hard... I don't even know how to measure that. Right. Oh, yeah, right. The church, right. Or to act a certain way, right. 
So in theory, if everyone did what they were supposed to, it would probably look like a beautiful world. Right? I mean, the husband's loving, the wife as Christ loves the church. Well, why wouldn't she reverence and respect that? That's a sacrificial love that puts her before everything else. I mean, come on. I mean, you should be like, wow, this is awesome. This is awesome, right? Okay. But the problem is nobody fulfills their obligation. So, we, so it blows it all up. And so once again, the scripture just tells you what's supposed to happen. Sin blows it all up and then we're left going, well, what do we do now? Well, what about this and what? And that's where the Bible doesn't give us the answers. Right. Right, because, because, well, because it, it's just, it's, it, it creates all kinds of problems and difficulties. It creates, there's just so many, like, all of these issues create all these questions where you're like, I don't know, I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to do about that. Because there's no easy answer. Right. Yeah. There's, there's no easy answer. Yeah. Right. There's no easy answer. But we know that no matter what's happening, no matter how bad it is, no matter how wrong the situation may be, what must we do? We still must try to show reverence and respect and honor and and obedience, even though it's a messed up situation because we look past the situation to God. However, we all know, is it going to work anywhere close to the way it's supposed to? No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. And which makes it ugly. But... There, there's at least the beginning of understanding fear has these two concepts. There's the wrong one. There's the right one. And the right one is complicated. And how to apply it where? In real life. All right, so, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a sinful world. This, these concepts, man, are com- complicated. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, for the next seven weeks, we're going to be trying to understand all the different concepts of fear and how it applies and what to do with it. And we've already just discovered this evening that this is a difficult concept to apply in a real world where there is sin and failure. Forgive us for how we've mishandled it. Help us try to understand it. And most importantly, we need grace because we are going to fall short of it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...